Well, hello again, Resurrection Presbyterian. It's Ben Coppage, and I'm grateful to get to be back with y'all sharing this passage together this week. It's not necessarily out of Mark, but it's continuing in this theme of encounters with Jesus. And uh, John 10, the passage you've already read together, is what we'll be looking at over the next few minutes as we talk about Jesus, our glad shepherd. Three things that we'll see, really two. Uh, one is kind of a tag on at the end, but um, what are sheep like? What is the shepherd like? And how false shepherds um, actually help us appreciate the glad shepherd, the good shepherd, even more. I don't know uh, if you saw the movie recently. I'm assuming you've seen it at some point, but Toy Story uh, is something you know either your kids grew up on or you've seen several times yourself. In the movie Buzz Lightyear, you know the character that he plays. Uh, He's this, in his image, in his self-perception, a real deal bona fide superhero. He's a space ranger. That's his perception. It's who he believes he is all the way down to his bones. And that's the, the bulk of the comedy of the movie really comes from Buzz thinking that he's legit. So he's got that little laser thing on his arm that he points and a red light shines out. And he thinks it's a laser that's, you know... A weapon and everybody else knows it's just a light. He's got that communication button that communicates with star command. Plastic wings popping out. He is actually falling, but he thinks he's flying. Buzz, in fact, is not a real superhero. And Woody and the other toys realize that. His laser doesn't do anything. Star command isn't there. It's not responding to all of his calls. But he's so convinced that he is a space ranger that he misses all of the obvious evidence that's telling anybody who's willing to watch and listen that he is in fact just a toy, that these superpowers he imagines himself to have, he doesn't really have. There's this famous scene in the movie uh, where Woody and Buzz are at this gas station and Buzz has just gone on and on about all this like space stuff he's about to do. This Emperor Zerg that's been building a weapon and he's going to go capture him and save the day. And Woody grabs him by the shoulders and he says, What? You are a toy. You aren't the real Buzz Lightyear. You're an action figure. You're a child's plaything. The secret was out in that scene that Buzz was not in fact what he thought he was. John 10, I think, is similar. The secret is out that you and I are not what we imagine ourselves to be. We're not what we thought we were. I don't think Jesus is grabbing us by the shoulders with frustration the way Woody was with Buzz, but I think that the message is the same. We imagine ourselves to be these uber-competent, independent operators who are capable of just unbelievable uh, amounts of work and relationship and everything else. Um, But in reality, uh, we don't know as much as we like to act like we know. We're not as in control as we like to think we are. We're not as sure of ourselves. We don't have the capacities that maybe our people-pleasing extends us beyond. We don't have that capacity. And so uh, for anybody who's willing to watch and listen there, that we're actually something far weaker, far more humble and modest than what we imagine ourselves to be. You could say this in a word. We're sheep. Of all the, of all the creatures Jesus himself made, uh, his mind easily goes to sheep when he thinks of you and me. We're sheep. 
And a lot of our confusion and frustration in life, I think, results from this dissonance between what we think we are, what kind of creatures we imagine ourselves to be, and what we're actually like. So Jesus has compared us to sheep. What are sheep like? I feel pretty comfortable at this point just um, delegating the task of showing you what sheep are like to YouTube. If you just go in there and type in stupid sheep or something like that, uh, you'll be dazzled for hours with footage of what sheep are like. Uh, but if you don't have a, a few couple of hours of your life to throw down the, the, the drain tonight watching YouTube videos, uh, here's a quick summary of what sheep are like. Um, they're not self-starters. They're followers. Jesus himself in this passage of all the characteristics and qualities of sheep that he draws attention to, it's their propensity to follow. They follow, they listen, they follow, they follow, they follow. They're dependent and vulnerable and passive creatures. Um, it's interesting. You can go out to Colorado and see flocks of antelope. You can go out west and see herds of elk or deer. You can see rams. You can see all these other animals naturally occurring in the wild in herds together, and they're pretty self-sufficient. If you've ever seen a sheep alone in the wilderness, you're thinking, I know what's going on in the back of your mind, future dinner for any of the animals around here. It's almost like, and maybe this is actually true, I don't know, but it's almost like sheep are not naturally occurring in the wild. They're such dependent creatures, such weak creatures, such modest creatures, that they require a human um, overseer to just survive. They're pensive, they're skittish, they're anxious. They flee when they're afraid or they hear the voice of a stranger. And Jesus is saying, and I don't think it took him long to capture them. Um, he's saying, y'all are sheep. And it's actually uh, something he would have been quite familiar with reading the scriptures as a boy because the Jews, the Israelites had always been compared to sheep. God had compared them to sheep. It would have been a little bit insulting to the original audience because they were far more familiar uh, with sheep. Everybody would have had sheep in their possession or someone in their immediate family would have been kind of the family, the shepherd of the group. Uh, but here's the thing, and maybe you've heard messages on sheep and shepherds and all this before and it you know, ends up kind of just diminishing uh, sheep. Here's the beautiful news that Jesus calls you and me a sheep specifically because he calls himself the shepherd. It's one thing if this was just kind of a, a lecture or a sermon on the mount where Jesus was saying, hey, y'all are like sheep, just so you know. But the fact that he says, you're sheep, and in the same breath, and I am the good shepherd, twists what otherwise would be an insult and kind of a, a putting us back in our place into one of the most beautiful realities Scripture gives us of who Jesus is to us. Here's why. It's great news because it means uh, he's compatible. What's more compatible than shepherd and sheep? I mean, that's more compatible than peanut butter and jelly. So he's saying he has, he has engineered this perfect compatibility between who he is and what we need and who we are, and that is existing there by His grace and by His mercy. It's not a natural compatibility that we had, but He's saying, look, this is what you are like to me and what I am like to you. I'm a shepherd and you're the sheep, which also means that you and I don't have to try and escape our sheepness. We don't have to apologize for our sheepness. Jesus is the one who noticed 
these qualities about us, he gets it. He gets that we have feet of clay, that we're weak, pensive, skittish creatures, as it were. It means that our sheepness does not disqualify us from drawing near to the shepherd. In fact, and let this sink in, and let it just unpack itself in all of its meaning, but your sheepness, all those qualities that make us like sheep, that qualifies you. It qualifies you. It's your pass to the good shepherd to approach him. Here's what I mean by let this unpack itself and really savor its meaning. Um, as Southerners, I know not everybody listening to this is a native Southerner, or many of you might be new to Athens, but a, a typically Southern thing to do with each other is to say things like, if you're meeting with a friend and you start tearing up, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I, I didn't mean to cry, I'm sorry. Or if you get emotional, we apologize for it. Um, sometimes we say, I'm sorry, I didn't want to be a burden. You know, maybe we've asked a friend to help us and we're not used to asking for help. And so we apologize and say, I, I, don't, I don't want to be an imposition. I don't want to impose upon you. Uh, and this passage is really uh, pushing. Uh, that's apologizing for your sheepness. It's seeing your sheepness as a disqualification to move towards a shepherd. Jesus is saying, of course, be an imposition. Of course, you're a burden to me. I delight in you being a burden to me. Sheep are a burden to the shepherd. Sheep are an imposition to the shepherd. We'll come back to this in just a second. Let me push it from one other end. What it's like to be sheep. What is, what is the shepherd? What's the glad shepherd like? A shepherd is who Jesus is. It's his essence. It's not his vocation. It's his essence. He says, Psalm 23, David says of the Lord, um, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. It's not just his essence, it's his heart. From ancient times in the prophets, as Jesus is speaking through his prophets to his people Israel, he says in Ezekiel 34, I myself will seek out my sheep and bind up the injured. I will bring back the strayed. It's his essence, it's his heart, it's his instincts. Jesus is talking about the difference between hirelings or hourly wage earners who came and watched the sheep for, kind of babysat the sheep. The difference between the hirelings and the shepherd is that the shepherd is a shepherd. All of his instincts are shepherd-like, which is why Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. It's the most natural thing in the world for a shepherd to do for his sheep. It's not just his essence, not his heart, not just his instincts, not... It's also his calling. Matthew 15, he said, I've come to gather the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's his delight and his duty. John 6, Jesus said, I will lose none of those the Father has given to me. No one will snatch them out of the Father's hand, he says here in our passage in verse 28 and 29. Think about this. Jesus is a shepherd. You are are a sheep. He doesn't resent you for your sheepness. It is your sheepness that makes us fit for him, compatible with him in a sense, needful of him. Think about this. The counselor doesn't resent people for calling him or her out of desperation to talk. They don't get the email of the person in desperation and hopelessness, hey, I've, I've got to talk to somebody about this. I need to meet up. A counselor doesn't roll his or her eyes at that email and say, oh, 
Again, another person calling me. They're a counselor. It's what they signed up for. They love it. It's their passion. It's their gift. Is it hard? Of course it's hard, but they feel called to it. A nurse doesn't roll her eyes or his eyes at the injured person being rolled into the ER. Oh, another patient. It's every instinct in his body or in her body to move towards this injured, helpless person with compassion. They're a nurse. A kindergarten teacher, though you and I might grow exasperated, you know, homeschooling our kids this fall or online school, and we're like, how does he do this? Well, kindergarten teachers signed up for it. They love five-year-olds. They get the cognitive limitations, the tactileness of learning at that age, the, the this week kind of stuff. We're just going to talk about the letter A and the ah sound. Next week, we'll call, cover the letter B. Kindergarten teachers love that environment because it's what they signed up for. Jesus is a shepherd. Oh, how well suited and fitted he is for sheep. And he's a glad shepherd, too. Friends, he's a glad shepherd. Dane Ortland, who wrote a book that probably many of you are reading or should read if you're not, um, Gentle and Lowly, said of this good shepherd, of this Jesus, um, being a shepherd, carrying your burdens, bearing your impositions, it's the whole reason he came. He says, how much more if, um, he says, so with us and so with Christ, Jesus does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness for renewed pardon, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. That's what he came to heal. This is beautiful. Lots of practical application. What difference does it make that Jesus is my, my glad shepherd, that, that I'm a sheep and that he's my glad shepherd? It means that he is attentive to you even when you're not attentive to him. That's what shepherds are. The sheep are are sporadically attentive to the shepherd. Sometimes they hear his voice and listen. Sometimes they're all... Louis Burkhoff said, isn't it a consoling thought that Christ is praying for you even when you are negligent in your prayer life? Friends, that's your shepherd. That Jesus is your glad shepherd means he's read you like a book cover to cover. He knows what you love. He knows what you get stuck on. He knows how you need to hear things put. He knows where you have trouble trusting him. It means that your glad shepherd has taken responsibility for you, your past and justifying you, your present and sanctifying you. He's taken responsibility for your future and glorifying you. He has taken responsibility upon himself for your welfare, your progress, your nourishment. The last thing I wanted to just briefly talk about is that the presence of these false shepherds, they are dangerous they are hirelings, so they might wear the clerical collar, as it were. They might teach, as it were, but they don't love the sheep. They don't have the smell of the sheep on them. They don't have skin in the game. If you've ever had a teacher or a professor or a boss who led you but didn't love you, you knew that that was a toxic environment. You knew that nobody grows in that environment. You know that it doesn't engender any trust. And Jesus says these false shepherds are within our midst from time to time. But he says, my sheep have become so familiar with my shepherdly voice that they hear me and that they follow me. But we must be diligent and discerning to distinguish between the voices of false shepherds and true shepherds. 
Barbara Duguid was a, a lady I knew up in Philadelphia at seminary. She's a counselor. She's uh, the wife of a church planner, and she's been instrumental in planning some of those churches. She, brilliant lady, and she wrote a book called Extravagant Grace a few years ago. She, she really put great words to what these false shepherds are teaching. She said the silent message that they're peddling is deafening. The message is Christians are people who quickly grow and change, and if you're weak and struggling, you must not be a believer. Or perhaps worse, you're a particularly bad Christian in whom God is very, very disappointed. And friends, do you see the tragedy in that? The danger in that? You might have even heard something like that. That might be your inner dialogue. It might be what your conscience or your emotions preach to you in your head all the time. And that is not the good shepherd. It's not the glad shepherd. That is someone who calls themselves shepherd but feels fundamentally incompatible with the sheep and resents the sheep for being sheep. But Jesus says, I am shepherd and I have come to gather the sheep. And so by abiding with this shepherd, knowing the shepherd, knowing his voice through familiarity and repetition, we begin to be able to pick out good news from enslaving news. The best news of all that is here is that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Thought or the question, maybe you can discuss it even, how did Jesus get to the point at age 33 where giving it all away, laying down his life, seemed so reflexive and second nature? Uh, We know that the Son of Man learned obedience through what he suffered. We knew that Jesus grew in stature and wisdom through the course of his life. What if Jesus didn't just lay his life down as the good shepherd because he was kind of on autopilot and in in a robotic or mechanistic way just kind of did this stuff automatically? What if he'd been a shepherd all along? What if he is the shepherd of Ezekiel 34? What if he's been shepherding his people since before he even came and now after he's ascended? Uh, What if he's the one um, who, who lays down his life not just at age 33 at the crucifixion, but had been laying down his life every conscious moment of his life, every day of his life? When he met with the woman at the well, when he healed Bartimaeus, when he called Zacchaeus out of the tree, when he touched the lepers, when he fed the hungry, when he received the children. Friends, what if Jesus had been laying down his life every day of his life and it had become so, it it is his nature, but it had become so reflexive that at the end of his life, when what is required of the shepherd is to fiercely fight to protect and win the sheep, and he did just that because he loves the sheep. That's the glad shepherd That's your shepherd. And because that's the glad shepherd, it's okay to be a sheep. It's okay to flock to him. It's good to flock to him and to find refuge in him. Let me pray for us, friends. I hope this is more than just encouraging, but I hope it is nourishing. I hope it is uh, recalibrating, reorienting. Let's pray. Jesus, our shepherd, we thank you for who you are. We praise you for who you are. Uh, We know that there's nothing native about us, nothing inherent or natural about me or about us that makes us compatible to you, but your mercy, your movement towards us in love, 
you calling yourself good shepherd and calling us sheep has made us beautifully compatible by your grace, by your sacrifice. So we thank you for that. We pray that we would rest in you and know your voice as our shepherd. We ask this in your name. Amen.